Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Today I have Tanya Marion with us and uh, Tanya is someone that I met through a common friend and this is the first conversation I'm going to have with her, but she's an independent educator investigating how freelance educators in natural resources fields and environmental education work in their communities. She hosts conversations with these educators on the podcast Tala Terra, and she's a very inspiring person. Hello, Tanya. How are you doing? Hi, Letty. Fine. Thank you. Nice to be here. You're fantastic. I already have a great relationship with you because we had a, a funny start to our podcast. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I saw in your webpage that you have a statement and it says, I see green where others see nothing, hear stories where others hear silence. I knew you were a fantastic uh, person to have on the podcast. <laughs> so, you know, if you have heard uh, how we go around this, we norm I normally like to take the people into their own childhood experiences and what they're passionate about and, and tell me how you got to see green where others see nothing, basically. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so tell me about your childhood. Well, I am... Um... My family is from Indonesia, and they immigrated. They immigrated oh. here after the war. They had to leave Indonesia when, uh, after Indonesia earned their independence from the Netherlands. Oh uh, wow! You know they were Dutch. I, 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 mm -hmm, go ahead. I'm sorry to say that, but you know my father-in-law was from Indonesia. He was born in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Because I married, I married a Dutch yeah. guy, so I'm yeah. sorry, but it's yeah. like not every day you hear someone that was born in Indonesia. Yeah, that's fascinating yeah. So, already. So then, you, so then you are aware of the, you know, the Dutch Indonesian people had to leave, of course, after None. the the war, or some, you know, they could have stayed, but so they, so my family's journey was from went from Indonesia to Holland, and then eventually to the United States, and my folks landed first in. Independently, first they landed in Wisconsin in Milwaukee. It was very cold, big change from Indonesia. And mm -hmm. Holland was also cold. And then they eventually drove out to California on Route 66. Oh, wow. And I was born here in Southern California. Wow, that's a podcast. I feel that's a podcast in itself. All that tidbit that you just shared with me, because I guess that I know also on my end that there's so much history there. And uh, um, yeah, my father-in-law was born in a concentration mm -hmm. camp. Exactly. You know, Japanese. In a, uh, and, uh, Japanese. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. We can have a long discussion. I have to have another uh podcast with you because I think that's a fascinating part of history that really defines mm -hmm. who you are. And uh and so so your parents were both Dutch? They were Dutch or they were born They were Dutch citizens, born in Indonesia. Yes. Uh, born in Indonesia. So they had to leave their country to go to Holland and then to 
pretty much choose where to go from scratch. Mm, yes. Yeah. They landed in, I know my mom's, you know, they landed in Milwaukee because their, their sponsor was there. Okay. And so that's how they ended up in Milwaukee. I see. I see. Okay. And so they, were they ever, I mean, are they still attached to their roots or are you still attached to those roots or so? so? Mm -hmm. No, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. So you grew up in California. Mm -hmm. And then well, what did you like to do you? Because I imagine you come from, you know, your parents having had this background, um, you know, they come from a, a, a little bit troubled background. Was your childhood uh, normal, as you recall? Uh-huh. It was, it was normal. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a very, um, yeah, it was, a, there was nothing, uh, different, you know, strange about it. Nothing that stood out, you know, it was, um, it was my, myself and my younger sister and my parents. And then we had family close by, you know, and they also, they also immigrated to California. The uh, friends and extended family, um, really throughout my my childhood, and especially back then, you know, were also Dutch Indonesian immigrants. You know, so they, you know they were a group that that stuck together. And we used to have lots of uh, parties at the house. You know, dance parties type things, lots of food and socializing. And they and my folks still socialize. There's a Dutch club out here, and uh, and they go to the Dutch club, which is now it's a Dutch club, uh, but there's mostly Dutch Indonesian, you know, the, the Indos there who go to the club. Interesting. My son was going to the Dutch club here to learn Dutch, mm-hmm. um, but he started at four, and by the time he's eight, he's nine now. But at the time he said, he said, "I don't want to learn Dutch no more." <laughs> and so that was that with the yeah. Dutch club. Yeah, and so that group, you know, those that group of people with that shared experience, you know, they they just have stuck together. And now, of course, over the years, they've aged, and some have passed on, and and so the composition of that group is changing. It has changed noticeably. I understand. And so growing up, of course, we know because it was in your intro, you're an educator. Was that something you dreamt about being? Like, tell me about those teenage years going to study. How did you choose your career, so to speak? When I was younger, I played school a lot. I had a magnetic whiteboard with magnetic letters. And so I was always playing school and who I was teaching, I don't remember. There was a family friend it, uh, who, when he would come over, you know, I would spend a few minutes with me and I don't remember what I told him, but he was very patient. Okay. <laughs> so I uh, did that. And then, um, you know, my dad used to bring home, sh- you know, sheets of paper, lots of stacks of discarded paper from his work. I have this I have a very much this, this thing for pencils and paper. And so I was always writing and drawing or whatever. And Okay. And let's see. You know, in school I was very studious, you know, studious. I did homework. Homework was my thing. I wasn't a good uh, social person in high school. You know, the only social thing I did in high school was in my senior year I was on yearbook staff. And I enjoyed myself so much. I wondered why I didn't do anything like that sooner. I loved uh, working with the photographer, interviewing people for the yearbook, 
and that type of thing. And so if I really think about it, maybe what I do now maybe had its, <laughs> you know, links back to that that moment because I really enjoyed the yearbooks yearbook um, experience, the yearbook staff experience. And other than that, it was just school and homework and school and homework. And and so when you chose a career, do you feel like um, that was an easy? Because, you know, when I do this podcast and people tell me what they enjoyed doing as the, as a child, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes say, oh, my God, that's and you ended up here, yeah. but you like to do that. And it's like such a big difference. Right. But for you, it seems like, oh, you kind of visualize it since a very young age that what you liked. And so would that career path that you chose to follow was, do you think, simpler yeah. than for people? Or well, is- I, I think it was, it was simpler. And I, I had very, uh, probably my best college experience happened at the community college. And I had really good teachers at the community college. And and I used to work in a zoology lab at my community college and take care of the animals. And I used to take the animals to classrooms uh, in from the local school districts and do presentations, you know, a type of naturalist in the classroom type presentation. And so, you know, teaching or that type of, you know, sharing and engaging with people really goes back, you know, that far. And then because my experience at the community college level was so positive and I enjoyed it so much. I, that was my um, objective was to teach at the community college. And so, you know, went through school, went through grad school and then, you know, taught during grad school, you know, of course, one-on-one lab and my thesis project involved teaching as well. And, you know, then I spent a short bit of time working as adjunct faculty biology uh, but then I became a grumpy adjunct, and I I stopped I stopped doing that. I knew you know that it wasn't the right disposition to have in a classroom, and so I stopped doing that. And then I explored other interests, uh, the, you know the things that I was uh, gravitated that I gravitated to naturally during spring break or winter break when I wasn't writing labs and grading papers and and all that. And um, you know, and so and one of the things that I uh, spent a lot of time doing was taking classes at the culinary school. I took a series of of classes for the home chef that mirrored the classes for the professional chefs. And so when they would have, say, uh, the guest speaker for the week would be the person who molds and, you know, is a master of chocolate, we got to interact and learn from that same that same person on that same week. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And I loved that. That's really that was really my thing, and I I really enjoyed it. However, I never considered it as a career option at that point because um, yeah, their hours are not my hours. I I'm not a night person. I'm very much a morning person, and um, you know, so that schedule wouldn't have worked out at all. Um, and then from there, I you know, one day my mom said you know, there's this class in botanical illustration at the Arboretum, you want to take it, and I took it, and, and, you know, things clicked, and I realized all the things I had around me that were related to botanical illustration or natural history art, a book about women illustrators, and that was the beginning of my previous endeavor, which involved uh, plant-based education and connecting artists, naturalists, and educators so they can learn about 
each other's work. Uh, but then I did that for many years, and then that ran its course, and uh, I began to um, explore first, you know, ways to change up what I was doing, and then, but you know, I eventually realized I needed to to let it go, and so I let it go, and started exploring something that had been floating in my mind for also a while, for a few years, which is my current project, which is. You know, the people who I meet at events who do what I do, the independent educators, the freelancers who do community events and teach workshops or, you know, provide some service, you know, out there in their communities. What do they do and who are they? And um, and so I launched this project. I shut down my previous one, my previous endeavor and took the alt MBA and never looked back. I love that. And uh, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about the Alt-MBA. But one thing that uh, I made a note about it's, uh, that uh, fascinated me already is when you say, when I became a grumpy adjunct, mm -hmm. I knew I had to change. And I think that's fascinating because I think that happens to a lot of people and most of us don't realize it. Like when we become someone that we know we are not, but we just let it be. And I see in myself, I see it in friends, sometimes there's certain periods where you say, who is this person? Like I'm even don't recognize myself. And the fact that you took control at that point and you recognize it and identify it and say something's need to change and acted upon that. I definitely think that's one of the key to happiness in life is when you can do that and have the courage to act upon it. Because I think some people know it, they just don't have the courage to act upon it. And uh, that's part of the purpose of this. And I've said it many times for anybody out there that has been loyal enough to listen to several episodes, but I'm now at episode, uh, you're going to be episode 31. And uh, I'm already shocked that I'm starting to get people telling me, because of this person, what was the name of this woman that told the story? You know, even Maria, you know, Maria from yeah. Maria mm -hmm. Senidu from mm -hmm. also from all the Alt MBA. She, I had already like three people telling me that her episode, uh, and I have to write her a note telling her that, that is already prompting change in their lives. So I'm sure that yours will do the same because I think a lot of people out there can relate to having that grumpiness in what they do when they go to work and not wanting to deal with why I am grumpy. Mm -hmm. And so kudos to that. And then and then you took uh, control after your, let's call it second career change, when you mentioned the Alt-MBA, because you mentioned several times, and then I started exploring this and I started exploring that. So I think that's also has been something that has been critical for your life path, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. That curiosity to explore. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know when I need to change something sometimes, you know, and you give me credit for, for changing course, but it, that didn't happen right away. It, it, it lingered, you know, I drug that out a little while because, you know, that was what I went to school for. Why am I changing? Oh, just suck it up. You know, this is <laughs> just deal with it. And so after you go through all that, mm -hmm. then I realize, no, no, this isn't. It. Yeah. 
I need to change. Because I think people yeah. think that uh, once you make a commitment to something, that's it. You have to spend your entire life with that career you chose when you were 18 or 19 and you had no clue what you wanted out of life. And uh, I always say, if you get to live, you know, like an average life, even if you make change at 50, you still have, let's say, 20 more years to enjoy, uh, hopefully, uh, your, you, that change you made. But uh, some people, they just think it's too late. I don't mm -hmm. have time yes. for Yes, and I think that's unfortunate. And I think, yeah, you know, when I speak with young people, I, I, I never ask what their major is. I ask what their current interests are, you know, and, and uh, some, at some point in my conversation with them, you know, slide in there that they can change their mind, you know, again, right? Or maybe what their life's work really will be is something they haven't even learned about yet. And uh, because... I think, I, yes, you want people to have, you know, to enjoy college and to have a discipline in mind or, you know, and all that, especially as, as parents. But I think sending somewhere in all of that back and forth, you send a message that that's your career for 40 years. And, you know, I remember in high school, one of my teachers said that the that the time of having a career for 30 years is over. And this was in the 80s. This is in the early 80s, okay? And uh, and I think, I don't remember which teacher said it, but I think about that. Uh, it comes around uh, every so often because, you know, look at what I did, <laughs> you know? I, I don't have a 40-year a company career. You know, I didn't I didn't take that route. Outside of working for the local county for the pest detection, the ag department, that was my only uh, one-year office job. And I'm sure you've been, a, a, and I'm sure you've had a great life. And that because people think, you know, I need a paycheck. I need to, and, and sure, you need a paycheck. You need to leave. You need to eat. But we need so much less than what we think we need. And if we adjust that and then we just go at, at to what we like to do, we normally end up doing better than if we don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so that that's great. And I, I, you know, that takes me to the second thing you said when you did the second career change, when you say I knew when it had run its course. So it's almost that knowing again. The, no, I know I'm grumpy. I know it run its course that knowing and then you took initiative and you took the alt mba which i haven't but it has been in the back of my mind and for those of you out there that don't know that's uh set coding one of set coding uh signature programs really right the alt mba and so that means she's a fan of set coding i'm a fan and that's probably why we are connected through the amazing cohort of people that you meet when you do any of these programs. I, I've taken the bootstrapping course and the, and the podcast fellowship, which uh, to put me on this path. But so tell me about the ALT MBA, share that because this Seth Godin is a powerful uh, agent of change when it touches people's life, I think. So for anybody out there that is not familiar, I think that would be something fantastic mm -hmm. yeah. to share. Well, you know, what that program did for me was uh, it did what it's what it intended to do, which is to teach people how to uh, ship work, how to produce work, you know. And where I went in 
to it, you know, always kind of dragging my feet before I make a big change, you know, thinking about it too long, you know, that fixed me of that, or, you know, um, got me over that. And so what it what that experience did was gave me a different posture, it gave me a different way of looking at my own behavior. It made me more self aware, it um, made it easier for me to call myself out uh, when I was hiding you know, hiding behind research, hiding behind writing, hiding behind, you know, all these things that I've, that I always have done. Um, You know, no, I can't do this because I need to learn this first, you know, or I need to research this before I even ask this question or, you know, this, that, and the other. And so that was key. I was ready for it. And um, yeah, I just soaked it up. It was it was really a, a good experience, positive experience. And, and that, just, you know, that paved the way for the other workshops that I, that I took, you know, in, in the Akimbo workshops, you know, and I've taken all of them, but the food one. Oh, really? Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, that's why you're doing good. Um, <laughs> and the food one, I just recently saw too. I'm like, okay, this uh, yeah. is going to get interesting. <laughs> But, you know, because I think what people don't understand, and, and you hit it on the nail, is a lot of it is about the interactions that you generate in, in those programs. And sure, it's important about the outcome. And I remember when I did my podcast, yeah, we ended up with one episode, but the eff- effort wasn't on how good the episode is. The effort was on creating the relationships and, and, you know, and I mean, you came, your name came about when I told one of our editors that did the the course with me, you know, I, I want quality guests. If you, if you know someone that is quality, like for my, I mean, everybody's quality, but for my podcast uh, in kind of the subjects that we discuss. And he said, I know the person that I want to introduce you to. and, and, And he introduced me to you. So that kind of, Fellowship, it's, I think, what, what any of, of those type uh, programs that he, that Seth and his team put together is what, what definitely it's able to generate. Yeah, yeah. So you took all these courses and then you created the program and the podcast, the Teleterra podcast that, that, uh, that you're on. So tell me more about that project and what's keeping you oh. taking this right project now. is the podcast is a component of a larger project, which I call the Freelance Condition and Lifelong Learning in Communities Project. And, you know, I've spent many years crossing paths with other independent educators at community events. And because we were always so busy setting up our respective booths, you know, doing whatever it is that we were doing at that event, you know, taking the booths down and all that, I never had a chance to sit and chat with them and find out their stories. And over time, I had a hunch that there was a story there. You know, there was a story in all this. And so then I decided to finally start asking questions. And, and that is, uh, you know, the impetus, the, the push, the nudge to do that came out of the Alt-MBA. And so I, you know, applied what I learned, right, and, and, and set a a timeline and started making, started doing things and started acting on things. And so I started this in, um, you know, January of 2018. And 
from there, I created a, a survey. I reached, started to reach out to um, independent professionals in the fields that I run around in, and which is environmental education and interpretation and natural resources. I held two roundtable conversations at two different conferences. Um, and then I launched the, the podcast to have conversations with the educators themselves. For many years, I, held a, I, I wrote a blog. Um, I didn't want to do a blog this time. I wanted to um, hear the voice, educators' voices, and I wanted people to hear their voice and their voices, and I wanted the educators themselves to hear their own voices. You know, because writing it's it's one thing to write about something and to read about it, but it's I wanted something more live, and I thought podcasting might do that for me. Before I investigated podcasting, I looked into digital storytelling and took, you know, workshops with that. Uh, but then I explored podcasting and I think this is this is the the medium, the appropriate medium for for what I'm doing. That's awesome. And so mm-hmm. and go ahead, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No. No, 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 that's it. And here I am. No, and it's it's great. And uh, but because I don't know that much about so you want to the, the community is all freelance educators. It's almost like redefining the way uh, we learn mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. See, cause most my interest is in the type of learning that happens outside of the classroom. Because mm-hmm. throughout life, most, it's where most of our learning occurs. And the type of learning that happens in informal learning environments. And, and so, you know, and uh, related to, uh, to two fields that are related to what I'm doing is the field of interpretation and museum studies. You know, because in museum studies fields, the museum field, you learn about how people interact with an exhibit or uh, the conversations that visitors have when they're at a museum, and and all this, um, you know, all this relates to the type of uh, to learning outside of the classroom, and what is happening outside of the classroom is is really what interests me. And so, so you tell me you enjoy what happens up what what's outside the classroom. Is there any one, like say, activity? Let's say if you can teach or be part of one activity um, on the last day of your life, let's say, what activity would that be? Would it be teaching a particular class or with a particular group of people? What what do you think you would choose? And I know that's a hard question, but I normally ask if you had an hour to spend somewhere, where would you spend it? Like always trying to think what is that thing that you enjoy to do the most these days? Yeah, no, I w- it would be outside. I would be outside and I think it would, it wouldn't be a, to go back to your original question and the way that you, you asked it, if it my last day on earth and if I were to lead something, it would be a walk outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. It wouldn't necessarily be a, um, a formal, you know, classroom setup. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be that at all. It would be a walk outside and, you know, and having conversation outside. Uh, when, um, you know, when you ask what's, you know, if I have an hour, a free hour in my day, it's, it's outside. It's outside with my plants. Um, the outdoors, basically. The outdoors, just something That's outdoors. Great. No, and then it's always, most people, I think 95% of the 
people that I've interviewed so far have have said something like that. A hike, the beach, the outdoors, something definitely that connects us with the nature. And so it's I think definitely there's something there in our subconscious that we need as human beings to be part or feel part of, of something bigger. Mm-hmm. Do you have any bucket list items, something that you say, if I stop working or if I, <laughs> and I, or if I had all the money in the world or something like that, one of those? Oh, yes. I have one item on my list, and that is to go around the world with National Geographic on a private jet. They, they have that, oh, uh, wow. a tour like that every year, and I've been tracking it for I don't know how long. And, of course, the price goes up a little bit every year, okay, for just because, you know, it has to. I mean, that's just the nature of, of things. And I figure I need $100,000 to to do that because the it's an ex- expensive. And I would opt for the single room occupancy because that's just my way of, of, of traveling, you know. And 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 then I figure if I'm <laughs> and then I figure if I and I came up with that hundred thousand dollar number because I figure if I'm hanging with mm-hmm. people who can afford that, they aren't doing what I do when I go to conferences, which is mm-hmm. bring my own collapsible oatmeal bowl, <laughs> bring my own oatmeal, bring, bring my own spoon, you know, and um, and, you know, and eat that oh. way. And plus. You know, you don't know what you're going to see when you are in other parts of the world mm-hmm. and, you know, and maybe having some backup, some backup funds might be a good thing because you never know. No, but that's great. I think that, uh, I mean, it's obviously it's, uh, it's a big item on a bucket list, but it's definitely not totally out of reach, I see, I think. yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. That's that's awesome, actually. I didn't even know they did that. So I now have to prompt it to look into it. It will be on the show notes. I will find a trip and I will put it on the show notes for anybody interested. So any final thoughts in terms of if someone out there is listening to this and you had like two, for what I understand, major career changes and you went one path and then you redefined that path. Um, any advice if someone else is thinking, like what I say, I had a friend, I heard your podcast, I'm thinking about it. So now if they hear yours, they're going to say, oh yeah, there's another one that really made a big change. What would you advise? My advice is to listen to your gut. Um, your gut knows more than you do. And if it's a career change, you know, um, careers unravel before you notice them to unwrap before you notice, right? I mean, they start to slow down or unwind, you know, change before you are even aware of it. Uh, but I think listening to your gut is most important. That's great. No, I, I think I think it's uh, it's very valid. And and sometimes when your gut, like I I shared this, but when I did my when I wanted to do the the podcast fellowship. I sometimes when I'm not too sure, I, I solve it throwing a, a, a coin in the air <laughs> and see if it's heads or tails. I know it sounds silly, but I do this. And I remember that I say, okay, heads, yes, tail, no. And it was a no. Yep. But I still wanted to do it. Like my God said, yes, you want, I was disappointed. 
So, and I read this somewhere, when the moment you throw a coin in the air, that's the moment you know what you yeah. want to happen because you find yourself wishing for some sort of outcome and that outcome is what you want to happen. And so that's the one you should go for, not whatever mm -hmm. turns up on the coin. Um, so, but sometimes we resist that God because our mind resists the God. So I think it's fantastic advice. Tanya, and, and, and I mean, I thank you. I think you're doing fantastic work. I think it's meaningful work because, as we all know, education is the future. You know, uh, this is what, uh, and, and we think children's, but now that I'm involved in like workforce for the technology, you know, for telecom, and it's we're talking about post-secondary education, And there's still a big gap and there's still a big need. And I'm sure some of those educators and freelancers really are down that alley. And so this is jobs that are, and missions that are very important and making a, a change in people's lives. So I thank you for that. It's very admi admirable. Mm, oh, thank you. No. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. And I wish you the best of luck. Thanks for being part of Back to Basics. Mm, thank you, Letty. Bye. Bye. And until the next time. <laughs>